to the ether today is wednesday november 23rd 2022 today on the ether spark ibc hosts private DeFi and you a josmanop boot camp with shade protocol let's take a listen hello how are we doing doing well how are you doing good. do you prefer carter or watson <laughs> we'll go we can go with carter cool well, yeah. How you doing, man? Doing, doing good. Um, I'm up north, so I apologize in advance if I drop. It's going to be because of Wi-Fi, and I'll attempt to rejoin as fast as possible. Um, but it's great to see the Joe. The Joes are are uh, are present here today. Their their numbers continue to grow. Are you confused, or uh, wh- where do you stand on Joe? Thing? We're, we are all Joe. Yes. Okay. Beautiful. You need a custom Joe. You'll you'll be getting a Joe in the DMs at some point. Um, if you do drop off, do you know? Do we have any other people from Shade joining? Uh, not to not tonight. It should be pretty good though. Like I should be able to be back within fifteen seconds. That's one of those random first, so it, sh- it shouldn't be huge. Cool. Okay. Sweet. Um. Yeah, actually, usually I give five minutes. So why don't we let some people trickle in at the five minute mark? We'll jump in and I'll, I'll see what I can do to slip you into a fresh show in the meantime. Very fun. I think it's a, such a fun, like, a lot of people out there think, like, oh, like launching a blockchain is impossible, forming a community and like creating value is impossible. But I think it goes to show that, like, there's power in having fun. I think it's one of the coolest little cosmos experiments I've seen in the bottom of the bear. Uh, so far so it's very fun i think that's a really good actually like if there had to be a single one word encapsulation i feel or one sentence rather uh there is power in having fun like actually for real so actually since since we have you live on the mic are you feeling what type of joe are you feeling face swap joe peeking over the shoulder joe maybe a little joe on the hat we got a lot of options ooh. i'm thinking ooh. I'm thinking peeking over the shoulder type of a Joe. Okay. Yep. Yep. That's always, it's always nice to just have a little Joe in your life. You don't need too much really. Cool. What you really got to have is a Joe for every day of the week. You know, I, I found that that's, uh, I think, I think that'd be pretty powerful. You know, Monday you got the Joe on the hat, Tuesday you got the Joe on the shoulder, Wednesday you got the Joe on the chest. And it's, it's just, uh, you got to have all the tools, all the Joe is available. Well, you know, that's that's totally what I was thinking when I made sure that there was more than 14 original Joes. So you can you can have one for every day of the week. I, I totally was uh, thinking. Yeah. That. yeah. <laughs> well, even more, more important than that, I mean, I mean, software sprints are typically two weeks long. So, you know, for you know, the Cosmos community, a lot of devs, 14 Joes, 14 days, one sprint, you know. Beautiful. Yep. Cool. So we can actually get going a little bit here. Got the uh, got the Joe coming out shortly. Maybe let's just start with um, 
a brief intro and overview of Shade Protocol, and feel free to make it as brief or not as, as you'd like, and then uh, a little bit of intro for yourself and where you fit into the Shade team. I think that'd be good. 100%. So Shade Protocol um, is over a year and a half old in terms of ideation and building at this point, which is pretty pre- pretty crazy to think. The vision for Shade Protocol has always been pretty simple. We want to bring global connectivity to privacy-preserving DeFi. We believe that in order for commerce to thrive and in order for crypto to truly succeed, there has to be some form of granular privacy such that um, you know, mom and pops can, can, can use it, that small businesses can use it, that institutions can use it. And you know, about a year and a half ago, we were looking for the tech stack that would give us that flexibility and we ultimately landed on Secret Network, this beautiful Cosmos chain that has a path to scalability while also having privacy as well as the composability of IBC. And so what is, what is Shade Protocol precisely? Well, it's, it's um, a set of smart contracts on top of Secret Network. And these smart contracts uh, consist of staking derivatives, bonds, stable coins, a decentralized exchange, a lending product, and a stable swap is kind of what's by the end of 2022, we will have all of those products live on mainnet. Um, and we believe that this, you know, this core, these core set of primitives have this opportunity to kind of all work with each other in a really sustainable and powerful fashion. And we're essentially going to be the one-stop shop for privacy preserving DeFi. Awesome. And and so we'll we'll get into the details, I'm sure. But like, I assume one of the benefits derived is that all of these different parts of Shade will sort of benefit from synergy with each other and like being interconnected and built in the in the same house as opposed to having, you know, a lending protocol as one thing, a DEX as another, um, <clears throat> except a stablecoin as a third, that sort of thing, right? 100%. So part of what, when we sat down as a team a year and a half ago, we were like, we kind of said ourselves, what is like the Outside of privacy, what is the fundamental friction points that are existing within DeFi ecosystems? And there was really two, two pieces of the puzzle. One piece was UI, UX, and the other piece was incentives. And so on the UI, UX side, it's like, all right, so let's say I Google Cosmos and I want to go find like the lending product. You might find five different websites with five different user experiences and five different tokens. And then, okay, like I want to go use the decks over on, like, let's say I go to Avalanche. Same thing. Like I, I have to go hunt down their specific lending product or their specific decks. And the point is, there's just so many different repeat products. All of them are fractured out in terms of UI, UX. And even more confusing is that the liquidity also gets super fractured. And so I think it's just super confusing for users when they land into an ecosystem to hunt down all of the different apps that are that are out there. And so by having this you know unified set of primitives all living on the same website, you you don't have to leave the site. You'll have your lending, your trading. Um, we're, we're even gonna have Silk Pay integrated into the website. So even for like moving your assets around to someone else, um, it, we're really giving people the like that full flexibility all in app with UI UX. Uh, and then the other side of it is the fractured incentives. So when you have, you know, DEX with token A and lending product with token B, um, in order for them to work with each other, they're both trying to kind of extract value back to their own tokens. Whereas if the lending product and the DEX both have the same governance token, 
Uh, there's unified incentives, which opens up the, the design space. Um, the example I like to give is ShadeSwap as a product uh, is working side by side with the lending product, working side by side with the arbitrage uh, product. Um, and because the lending product doesn't have its own token and nor does the arbitrage product, um, we're able to have this really unique design space and, and user stories. And I'll, I'll give an example of this. So on ShadeSwap, let's say you make a really, really big trade and you cause a huge amount of price impact. Let's say you, you shift price 5 or 6% on a trade. What, sh what ShadeSwap does is it calls the arbitrage product and the arbitrage product will be calling the lending product. And there's actually going to be a self-arbed flash loan that returns the profits from the arbitrage um, from the price impact that you created right directly back to the user. And these are the types of use cases that have never done, been done before because it's three products, all unified under one governance token, no conflicting incentives. If we try to pull in like white whale into the equation, for instance, it would be very confusing because like how much profit should go back to like something like the white whale product versus the users and things get super messy. And so in summary, without going too far down the rabbit hole, unified UI UX and unified incentives opens up the design space and ultimately creates a better end user experience. Okay, that's <clears throat> that. I actually love sort of learning by examples. I'd love to dive into that one a little more as a starting point. But real quick before that, um, do you want to quickly just go over like what your role in Shade Protocol is? Sure. So I am considered kind of the lead lead researcher at Shade Protocol. More than that, I would consider myself the the head of product for the protocol. Uh, that means long ago when we sat down, I was the one that wrote. The original original white paper that kind of outlined the the principles and and these initial products and what we hoped for them to accomplish. Uh, since then, I've had to zoom out a bit more. The Shape Protocol team has over uh, well at this point it's twenty three people that are are building out Shape Protocol and there's other teams outside of that core twenty three folks. So I'm managing the different you know developer teams, product teams, marketing, business development. It's a lot of a lot of juggling. So I have, I have less time to do product at this point in time, but that's honestly at this stage in the protocol's life, that's the best use of my time is actually executing and getting these products to market and evangelizing what they're going to be capable of. Awesome. I love it. Okay, cool. So perfect person to be chatting with. Um, let's, can we, can we just kind of start with that example you gave and dive into that a little? Cause I think that was super interesting and I'm curious a little bit about how that works. And then I know one of the main things we want to focus on tonight is the stable swap sort of mechanics. Um, I assume we might be able to like segue in from there, but that was just such a cool example. I kind of want to explore that a little. Sure. So it's, um, we have to kind of back, go back to traditional finance to understand how AMM models work to date. Like essentially what happens is, is every time you make a trade on an AMM, there's going to be like in order for, for price to be accurate across all the different decentralized exchanges out there, there's a whole community of arbitrage players that are constantly sniping price disparities. So let's say, uh, we'll say that Adam is worth $1 to simplify this example. And let's say there's 10 DEXs in the cosmos. They're all worth $1. Uh, like Adam's trading at one dollar and all those different AMMs, and then someone comes on, uh, you know, someone one of the random dexes, and they buy they buy Adam and they push the price on that dex up to a dollar and ten cents. Okay, for for Adam on that dex, 
uh, what happens is an arbor, what they'll go and do is they'll, they'll essentially buy Adam on another decks for $1, go to the decks that it's worth at a dollar, where, where Adam's worth a dollar and 10 cents. They'll sell the Adam there. Um, and then that'll essentially push the price back down to be in line with like all the other um, AMMs that have their, their markets and, and this liquidity. And so this is constantly happening as we speak, like every single block that's happening, there's arbors moving between centralized exchanges, moving between different layer ones. And it's all in the name. The service that they're providing is they're helping maintain accurate prices. So if you're on Joe Schmo decks that has, you know, barely any liquidity, you're still probably going to be buying and selling the asset for a price that is roughly hey, don't accurate. Talk bad about Joe Schmo decks now. Oh no, Joe Schmo decks is that's a, that's a compliment. <laughs> Apologies. Um, but the you're probably going to have pretty accurate pricing even on that smaller decks compared to a bigger decks because of the service that arbitrage players are providing. Now, here's the counterpoint to this. Those uh, arbitrage players are essentially extracting value. It's, called, it's something that's called toxic flow. Um, and it's essentially value that's being captured by the arbor as opposed to the liquidity provider or the user or the protocol. Um, the arbors are the ones that are making out big, earning all of, this, all of this profit by maintaining the pricing accuracy. And so what ShadeSwap does is says, wait a minute, what if there's a way that instead of having these you know, third-party institutional arbitrage players earning the money, what if we can actually return this revenue back to liquidity providers and back to the users, right? That would be like extremely, extremely empowering. And so the way this works is when a user makes user, well, I, I should preface before I describe how we pull it off. I should state, I should state that to date, it's been impossible for everyday folks to compete with arbitrage players because it's a game of speed right? It's kind of a winner takes all in the ARB community. And so as an everyday person, you don't really get to participate in arbitrage because you're up against programmatic folks that have nodes all over the world um, communicating with these respective blockchains in order to put their transaction, you know, furthest up the block in order to lock in their arbitrage, arbitrage profits. So how in the world does a protocol essentially compete in the game of speed against these ARB players? Like how can we empower retail and um, like liquidity providers to somehow have you know, a benefit from all of this stuff? And the answer is that you can't, you can't compete on a game of speed. That's really, that's really not how you win, win the war here. And so what we've, what we've essentially done is as you, you as a user, when you make a trade, you're causing a certain price impact and the cool part is, is like when you're submitting the transaction, there's a callback, there's a callback function that's made directly to the arbitrage contract. So it's, it's literally like no one can shove a transaction in between what you've done because it's all nested in the same transaction. So your trade and the arbitrage are essentially perfectly clumped together. And so you make the trade, um, you, you, you know, you bump the price of the asset. And then the arbitrage con smart contract has already accounted for the price impact. It talks to Shade Lend and says, hey, borrow me as much collateral as I need to immediately like arb this, pay off the loan, and give the profits back to the users and the liquidity providers. And, it, and it, the thing is like arbors can't be, like arbors aren't going to be able to compete with this DEX because it's the DEX arbing itself, arbing its right. own. Well, 
every okay everything seems internal there and it, i still see how it would all be one transaction so that makes sense but you guys only have one dex right so will you be arbing between different lp pools or between your guys and a third party dex like that's a great question yeah, so no, initially no. initially it's initially it's interdex and those are where all the strongest guarantees are made the instant you go um well i should say this as long as it's inter-secret network we're first in line anything that's beyond secret network to some other ibc chain that is where the, the white whale products of the world will still be kind of yeah super, super powerful if that makes but sense. you guys would maybe tap into like secret swap or sienna swap or something exactly. or something no, or most importantly, most importantly, between 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 the pools that are located on the decks itself. So if you had like an Adam Secret pool and an Adam and an Adam Silk pool and maybe an Adam Osmo pool, then oh, we can kind of oh, equalize all these things. So wait, if I made a big price impact on say the Adam Secret pool, yep. the the protocol would borrow, let's say, Silk in order to buy Adam from the Adam Silk pool to, like, compensate. Yep, and then immediately sell oh. it off on the other pool that hasn't been impacted by that trade and then rotate it out. Like, it's, it's, a, pretty, it's a pretty interesting concept, and we're, we're still exploring the extent of this, and right now we're scoping it as V1 is no flash loan. It's just the self-arbitrage, and it's all interdex. V2 will be with flash loans. And then V3 will be arbing from ShadeSwap to the other DEXs on Seeker Network. And then V4 would be some sort of partnership um, with the folks that are handling, you know, inter-IBC arbitrage. Okay. Okay. Yeah. uh, Inter-IBC arbitrage will always be hard so long as IBC has the latency it does. I think that's... Yep, yep, yep. Exactly. That's yeah. That's why it's something like White Whale will hopefully sort of fill that particular niche. Okay. Awesome. Sweet. So, host of DeFi products that absolutely benefit from each other, um, more than just like you know tight integration with UX and stuff. Um, but I think, well, I don't want to put words in your guys' mouth, but it seems like maybe the thing you're sort of most focused on maybe most proud of is silk and some of your stable swap mechanics would that be sort of accurate like that's the bread and butter so to speak yeah i I would say the focus on being the center point for stable coin liquidity on the cosmos is going to be a huge focus of shade protocol and the we we had to build the stable swap from from scratch because one of the hard parts is that silk isn't pegged to the u.s dollar so there's going to be a bunch of DEXs in the cosmos that we would go to that would be like, hey, your stable coin is slightly dynamic. So our stable swap can't handle, you know, a dollar stable coin to your slightly dynamic stable coin. And so can like we, seven months can back, we quickly, can we quickly do an overview of what Silk is? Sure. Yeah, it's not a dollar, but that's probably going to make some people go, wait, what does that mean? Is it like, yeah. I know the the mind map for just describing all the products at this point is becoming uh, (laughs) difficult. This is why, like, I'll I'll sometimes ask questions I know the answer to, but that I know other people have or that I'm not entirely clear on. So, like, we try and paint the map slowly. Yeah. (laughs) Eventually, we'll just be able to point people to the app and they'll be like, okay, this, this this makes sense. So, Silk is an over collateralized stable coin. 
So anyone familiar with MakerDAO or with Agoric or Comdex, uh, all of these models essentially have vaults where users can put up their crypto collateral and mint out a stablecoin. And the collateral is essentially escrowed by the smart contracts. And to maintain the over-collateralization, there's essentially these liquidation mechanisms where um, the smart contracts sell their collateral in return for the stablecoin that was minted out. Um, and people essentially like turn in the stablecoin, the stablecoin gets burned. This reduces the circulating supply of the stablecoin to help maintain maintain the peg at a certain collateralization ratio. So over-collateralized model is, is super, super strong. Traditionally, when these stable coins are above their target peg, like let's say that they're, they're at like $1.02, what an Arbor would do is they would lock up collateral, mint out the stable coin at a $1 rate, and then sell it at the $1.02 price point that's on the market. And this drives the price down. If the stable coin is ever under peg, like let's say we're talking about DAI with MakerDAO, uh, what happens is people will buy back the stablecoin at a discount for $0.98, cents, and the smart contract allows them to turn that underpriced die-in at a $1 rate. So when the stablecoin's under peg, people can essentially pay off the loans they've created at a discount. That's how that peg is maintained. So those are kind of the three stability mechanisms. You have the collateralization being sold off and pulling the stablecoin out of the market. You have arbors when the price is ever overpegged. And you have people paying off their loans at a discount if the stablecoin is ever underpegged. Those are kind of the three proven proven mechanisms. And so Silk utilizes the over-collateralized model. We're not reinventing the wheel on that front. Where Silk is differentiated is really two key features. The first piece is privacy, it's privacy preserving. When you're on Seeker Network, you have that transactional, transactional privacy with Silk. And the second piece is um, Silk, the, the peg is not tracking the dollar. What's happening is that Silk's actually tracking a basket of global currencies and commodities. We use a band protocol, which is a Cosmos-based uh, Cosmos Oracle solution. We're working with Supra Oracles to have a second Oracle as, as a backup, hopefully Chainlink one day as well. And so Silk is tracking this basket. And if you, if you hold Silk, essentially you're hedged against inflation to a degree and you're also hedged against global volatility. So it's really intended to be this kind of interoperability hub between global currencies. We want to give people an alternative to all of these dollar stable coins that are emerging because how can we say we're building decentralized money if the money that we're creating is pegged to a centralized monetary system? So, okay, right. So I guess the only question I've actually had um since learning about the basket of assets thing, is it that it's the average of a basket of assets then with some division done to bring it like near a dollar? Is that sort of the idea? So it's really interesting because we can choose any starting peg. Like you could you could start things off. Oh, with right, right. Yeah. And so it, it could be a hundred dollars, it could be a thousand dollars. But like we're what we're saying is Silk's kind of starting peg is going to be right around a dollar and five cents. Gotcha. And then as the weights for those currencies slowly change over time, you'll see that price go up or down. Um, as, How's as the basket weighted? Like if USD did another thing where it goes up, but every other currency and gold and commodities go down, would silk probably go down or stay Correct. even? So there's a, there's a V2 of the basket that's coming out because you know we saw what happened in 
2021, 2022. And it was like, all right, like we kind of had 20 plus currencies in the basket. And we kind of went back to the drawing board with some of the economists working on the basket. And so the new revised version that's kind of coming out is much heavier weights towards uh, gold and Bitcoin. So roughly 25% of the basket is tracking a split between gold and Bitcoin, where 75% of that 25% is gold and the other 25% is Bitcoin. And what we're finding when we kind of backwards compute this back all the way back to 1984-ish is the purchasing power retention is very, very strong in relation to the dollar. Um, there is an additional amount of kind of volatility with silk when you kind of are more weighted towards the hard assets, but we're going to be biasing silk towards the purchasing power retention. Gotcha. And then what, what, what weight is the US dollar roughly? Just curious. Uh, the, I believe with V2, it's, with V2, around, yeah. it's around 40%. Uh, it used to be a smaller, smaller component, but it has, it has taken up a bigger percentage. And if governance in the future wants to modify the weights, they will have the ability to, to do so. And then the remaining 35%, are there any other commodities mixed in there or just other currencies? So far, just other primary currencies like the euro, the yen, the Canadian dollar, etc. Once there's more data feeds available, we would love to add more commodities. But adding in another commodity is only helpful if it's kind of if that commodity is uncorrelated from from gold right uncorrelated from bitcoin or uncorrelated from those other currencies yeah yeah that'd be it'd be super interesting it you'd probably want to do tons of back testing before you did yeah. but i think oil would, be, oil would probably be the most some some reflection of like oil sector. or lumber or corn yeah or yep. grain like one of those kind of core things but yep Okay, super cool. So I'll I'll just say because I I almost feel I'm I'm required to at this point. It's it's totally not your guys' fault, which is also why I'm uh, fine to say it because it's just not available in Cosmos right now. I'll probably be a little hesitant about Silk. Probably still use the product because the UX will be great and I support you guys. But with any large amounts of money, until there is a better oracle behind it than Band. Um, I haven't looked too much into Supra. I really only trust Chainlink. Good to see that's kind of on the horizon, but obviously that needs to <clears throat> make its way to Cosmos in general before you guys can tap into that. But I'll be very yeah. excited when that happens for sure. And you guys will have access to far more feeds for different commodities and stuff too. Yep. So we we are very aware and also kind of concerned with the, with the Oracle piece. The good news is that the team probably has spent we had at least a whole month where the Oracle was the primary topic of conversation. So there's an entire redundancy plan tied to like the question of, Hey, what happens if band protocol goes down like completely and not just for like an hour or two, like what if band protocol like completely dies, what happens to silk? And essentially that we have this, this, this backup plan where silk becomes a static stable coin instead of a dynamic stable coin. So the last known price point that Silk was tracking suddenly becomes its target peg. And so all the arbitrage mechanisms and all the smart contracts would be, you know, instead of slowly tracking a moving peg is now designed to push back to whatever that last known price point was. And then once the Oracle solution comes back online, there's this whole reweighting process. And then the dynamic component removes or um, continues, continues onward with Silk. So 
there's also some other backup plans tied to, hey, can we use the decks or like, is there any other backup solutions that we can use for, for Silk's data feed? But I, we were kind of uncomfortable with them because they either depended on liquidity pools, which could be manipulated, or they would depend on some form of centralized API, which has its own risks. So we're most comfortable with saying in the event of the Oracle going down, Silk becomes a static stable coin until the data feeds come back up. That awesome. I, I love that. That seems like as good a contingency plan as I could have thought up. Like really cool to hear you guys have like thought that through. Um, I definitely can't, if you guys are still sort of on the Oracle question at all, I can't like personally vouch for these guys, but I have co-hosted a space with them and they've been interested in working with Cosmos people uh, in general. Um, so if you'd like, I could connect you with a pretty interesting Oracle project that I met up with called Redstone Finance. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Probably no. not. If you, if you DM me their name, I'll forward that to our business development team and we'll, we'll, we'll set up a call. Would love to be connected with them. Okay, let me do that right now, just so I don't forget. Another long-term solution we would potentially do is have our developers create an Oracle module for Seeker Network embedded into the validator set. Um, that takes a bit more, a bit more work. And then the concept there would be you flip over from, you know, your band protocol and then you flip over to the validator set it if need be like you have some 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 form of, of backups there yeah yeah i think i remember last time i chatted with uh the secret network team in general um for or was it the last time whatever the shockwave update uh upgrade was yep. we had them on here and uh yeah they kind of went through some of that like stuff that's cooking of like native validators as oracles basically for lack of a better way to put it so that'll be super interesting to kind of see how that develops is that something as far as you know that's only being like explored on secret i haven't yeah. heard well actually Ter Terra was one of the original groups to have an oracle solution embedded directly oh, in their right. set. i believe kajira also has some form of oracle embedded into their validator set so it is a i think it is a cos I don't know if it's a core cosmos module or if they've been custom made ones. I would need to look into that. But it is a thing. Yeah. Yeah, it is a thing. Okay, cool. Cool. Sweet. So um I know I said almost probably like 15 minutes ago, let's just quickly go over silk. But I think that was great. I think that was awesome. Um we can sort of bring it back around a little bit to I guess I'm sort of curious exactly what um what you want to get into surrounding the stable swap in particular. So let's just get into there because I know that's what uh, was indicated by which, uh, whichever member of your team I was chatting with. Fisco, I think? Yep, 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 um, yep. Yeah, that, like, that's sort of a, a, a cool new thing you guys have either some updates on or some, I don't know, take it away. I, I don't even know exactly how that fits <laughs> in. So. Well, I mean, I think, I think for us, the the... the what I envision is that like there, ha there has to be a couple of places in the cosmos where there's a lot of stable coin, stable coin liquidity. And we've seen, we've seen a lot of like, for instance, on Ethereum, Uniswap isn't like hyper-focused on, on stable coins, right? That's kind of curves, curves job. All the incentives on curve are focused on really that specific type of trading experience. 
Um, and so in a similar sense, like we see the osmosis of the world, the crescents of the world, the genus swaps of the world. And it's kind of like, where's the focused stable swap for the cosmos? So we really, you know, about nine months ago, saw the need for that and, and set out to begin to begin to build a stable swap. But we didn't we didn't want to just, you know, launch like yet another DEX. Like we wanted to actually innovate on the underlying technology itself. And so the the stable swap really has two two really interesting features, which you can read about it in the, the Silk Swap white paper, um, which is available in the Shade Protocol docs. Or if you crawl through our Twitter feed, eventually you can find it. But there's really two pieces. The first piece is um, computational efficiency. So we had a PhD mathematician working with one of our engineers for many, many, many months. And in essence, they looked at Curve's model and realized that how they're computing the, the output for any given stable swap trade isn't actually that computationally efficient. So there was a bunch of different methods that were were attempted. And I'm I'm not a purist mathematician like these guys are. So all, all I can really say is that the like if Curve looked at this white paper, they would be like, oh, we should implement this because we would save a crap ton on on gas fees for our users because it's way more computationally efficient. So that's the first piece. It's more computi- computationally efficient and, and fast to, to compute on you know, with shade swap compared to the standard that exists on curve. And then the second piece is the actual shape of the curves themselves. So currently with kind of concentrated liquidity, the way it works is you have um, the the center of the curve where it's flat is where it's a really good trading experience. Like if I have USDC and I have something like Tether, I can seamlessly trade them because they're both pegged to the same thing. And all the liquidity is kind of concentrated under the assumption that both of the stable coins are um, pegged to each other. And so on existing stable swap models, the DEXs have control over how flat the curve is and, and like essentially for how long. And so the longer the flat section is, uh, the more extreme the tails are on, on both ends. Like when you essentially reach the outer extremities of the AMM curve, um, those tails get jacked up super fast. And essentially we, we saw that and said, wait a second, is right now it's totally symmetrical with how people are designing those ta- tails. Could we make it so that you have asymmetric control over the tails as well as the flatness of the curve? And so this is this has never this has never been never been done before in crypto to our knowledge, anywhere on Ethereum, no one's done this before. And so on SilkSwap, we have this essentially concentrated liquidity curve where you can control like the behavior of both of the separate tails. They, they aren't forced to be symmetrical. And you also have control over how flat the curve is. So very, very big innovation on that front for the liquidity providers when they design their own markets. If they want to bias the slippage towards an asset on one side of the you know pool versus the other, you essentially have that optionality with this new curve. And we're not entirely sure what markets are going to get unlocked with this our initial use case, and I'm sure liquidity providers will come up with other use cases, is that we can essentially have slippage protection, um, or we can put in essentially capital protections for for the silk stable swap curve. And that was a mouthful. Okay, that was that was awesome. But I myself am just an average Joe, and I know we have many average Joes <laughs> listening. So okay, I want to I want to break that down a little more and also maybe describe visually because I think I know what you mean, but I also know that even just four, five months ago, I probably would have been totally lost. So <laughs> first, so like 
first off bonding curves in general yep. and like curves and how these fit into thing the reason curve protocol is called curve um are these graphs that like you've probably seen in crypto whether on just twitter posts or white papers or whatever um that either and please jump in here carter either look like um sort of like a weird s where it's it's shallow at the beginning super steep in the middle shallow at the top as it goes left to right ones that start rising quickly and then taper off like we saw in the uh atom 2.0 paper for like the new uh emissions protocol and then ones that like exponentially sort of curve up start slow and then really get fast towards the end of the graph so which which kind of curve are we we talking about here we're talking about ones where you have a bunch of liquidity at the start and then you you flatline out at the at the top. Okay, cool. So I think it I think correct me if I'm wrong, is that negative exponential curve? That that sounds right. And the the difference yeah. is that like you can when it transitions from like as that that you have control over that slope and when it transitions and what that what that looks like. Yeah. Okay, cool. So and so what this enables for you guys and how it diff actually so how, what what would like curve curves look like cuz you said yours is kind of unique um and actually real quick again just for anyone who just got confused in that so the the curve we're talking about and the graph we're kind of look at is one that like starts very steep if you're going left to right on the x-axis it rises very quickly but then it tapers off to the point where it's almost flat and you're not gaining anything on the y-axis by the time you get to the end of the graph on the right correct carter yep that's correct yeah beautiful so how does that like oh and actually also real quick so the x-axis is what the so i fundamentally the difference that i'm envisioning here is to date, when you've seen those like type of S curves with liquidity, you've mm-hmm. only ever seen like one of those graphs because it doesn't talk about directionality. It assumes that that behavior, when you're going from asset A to asset B, is the same behavior as going from asset B to asset A, right? And so the difference here is that this is really would be two graphs on top of each other, like two of those different uh-huh. S curves. And so when you're going from A to B, what the curve behavior is is, is essentially asymmetric. Right. Oh, okay. So what I'm looking directional control. Right. Okay. Okay. So what I'm looking at and thinking about is something more like what curve protocol probably has, but what yours has is almost two different curves in the curve that can let it fluctuate to where it's needed. It being the liquidity. Yep. Yep. In in essence, directional. You have design over the directional directional behavior, which is a very a very new concept. And I think we're going to be seeing other DEXs head in that direction too, because it just gives the providers more control over, it's essentially capital controls on trading, which is a fascinating concept. Okay. And then, so for the super average that Joe, this will basically allow you to have less price impact when big trades are made. Yep. This is a this yeah. is a nice, this is one of those discussions where a visual <laughs> a visual yes. like forty we're like word vomiting over here like wait a second <laughs> no I I pulled up some curves because I knew it would help me at least um th- we could have explained it probably in like two minutes if we just said visuals um but I'm with you now cool so so basically there this word curve that is thrown around 
for stable pools and other pools basically just refers to where the liquidity is concentrated in the pool as it refers to like slippage when a big trade is made. And you guys have a new take on it that is more dynamic and literally like two different curves in the graph that allows it to. I guess when when so for small. What causes that to shift? Like, when do you want the curve to look more like a traditional curve finance graph versus something more concentrated towards the top, maybe? Right. So I think I think the the concept would be is like, um, let's say people are selling silk for for USDC. If you are making huge trades, you're you're getting further and further away from that flat region. That's giving you really good a really good trading experience. And eventually, you're going to start to encounter the curve returning back to that constant product, constant product behavior. And that constant product behavior is essentially a disincentive for someone to not continue to create this disequilibrium in the pool, right? Because yeah. the, the whole point of the constant product pool is like you you want to try to avoid people like like essentially emptying out a pool or really like freaking it up for for the liquidity provider to use like the to use some common Joe language. And so by having asymmetric controls, you could essentially say like, hey, for people selling silk, we want to instantiate kind of constant product like behavior on the curve much quicker than for people that are selling USDC for silk, if that makes sense. It's, it's literally like it's like cap, capital controls uh, on, on directionality. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So it's, it's, more of a, it's more of a system for, for protections on any given on any given asset and it can also be used for staking derivatives too. So if you go from something like secret to stride or like Adam to stride Adam, like I'd imagine there might be some advantages to having protecting one side of the asset versus the other. Okay. Yep. Yep. That makes total sense. Um, reminder also because we've, we're, oh wow, we've already been here for 45 minutes, <laughs> but also because we're, we're we, a little bit complicated. Um, if anyone does like want to come up, ask questions, get clear clarity on anything or anything else shade related, feel free to. Um, I would I would just jump in and add like to to zoom to zoom out. At the end of the day, it's going to be a stable swap experience. That most like to the most users, all they're going to see is, "Hey, my trading fees are extremely low." Yeah, I know I have privacy on this stable swap, and there's deep liquidity with all these different IBC stable coins. It's more for the power users that come in and say, like, "Oh, like, wait a second, well, they not sell part." I'll go for it. Not just that, right? But also, like, because it's intertwined with uh, a lending protocol and a stable coin yeah. liquidations that are happening, it's like it's very beneficial in that regard to make sure that large liquidations can be handled efficiently, right? Yes, I was just about to jump there and say. Whereas the, the powers <laughs> will probably come in and see the self arbitrage feature. They'll understand like, oh, this is potentially more efficient than other DEXs on the gas costs themselves. And you also have that that privacy and, and some of those weird capital protection curves that are that are super unique. So we're we're still exploring the full extent of what the stable swap represents, but our partners so far, um, at least that are that we're in talks with, nothing fully finalized yet, but they're gonna be attending the the stablecoin summit that Shade's hosting in December is uh, Agoric. Um, we have the Kajiras of the world, the Comdexes of the world. Um, and those are kind of the, the big, big Cosmos ones right now. We also really want to bring in Dai and Frax uh, to the stable swap as well. 
Um, we have Krill up here on stage. Um, Hi. I have one more question for you, Carter, but yeah, jump in. Go for it. No, no, no. Go, go ahead. I'll, uh, I, I'll just wait because you guys are so, so interesting. I, I'll wait and listen. Okay, cool. No problem. Um, I guess my last kind of weird question, you, you may have no idea. And maybe the answer is just because, you know, the same people run them. I really don't know. But I'm a little curious, why has, like, Uniswap not expanded to a lending protocol or Aave to a mainstream DEX or either of them to a maker model or, you know, any any combination of those? Like, what? why haven't we seen a sort of all-in-one DeFi suite yet? Is there some downsides or something? I guess there's the idea of, like, if a part of it breaks, all three parts of it break, but... Um, yeah, I'm just that's kind of something I've been curious about. I, I think it's a great question. The at least from our perspective, I think it's uh you make your life insanely more difficult to be like like traditional wisdom says saying, hey, we're gonna launch everything is like a terrible idea, right? Like <laughs> so I, I think Ethereum is so so competitive product wise that the the DEXs had to be like laser focused on a DEX offering that they never gave themselves the chance to zoom out and be like, well, what if we had product B, C, and D? How would that make product A, you know, four or five times better? Um, so, and, I, and I think like when Uniswap was created, a lot of these lending products and a lot of the innovation that's happened since then hadn't, hadn't been built yet. So I know Curve is launching a, a stable coin. So they're kind of showing the world that like you can be a stable swap and a stable coin. I know Frax, which is a stable coin, is recently launched Frax Lend. So now they're entering into the dual primitive vision. So I, I think from like Shade Protocol's um, perspective, when we, when we set out to build a unified set of primitives, we felt like that was always going to be the end game. And it's been very, um, not unnerving, but just like it's, it's happening in real time or other people are figuring out the, the same kind of core principles of multiple primitives open up the design space. Yeah. I mean, it definitely sounds like there's really only Aside from the obvious interconnected, one thing fails, all affected. But that's kind of how crypto is anyways. Yeah, it sounds like there's only benefits to be gained. Um, what What's your sort of... Are one of these elements going to like solidly be out first? I know... Or actually, no, there's already... We already have ShadeSwap, right? No, so we have ShadeSwaps on Testnet right now with the StableSwap. And ShadeLend oh, is also on Testnet. And both of them are under audit. And both of them were aiming for, for end of Q4. The products that do exist right now is we have the largest staking derivative on Seeker Network. It was actually the second staking derivative in the entire Cosmos to launch. I was thinking of a swap interface, but it was definitely the interface of just like normal secret to... Yep, the wrap. Yeah, yep, yep. And then we also, have, um, we also have bonds, which we didn't even talk about protocol and liquidity, which is its own rabbit hole. But if essentially the DAO can acquire LP positions, like. We can, the treasury can sell its own assets for assets on the market. And what we're really going to be aiming to do is for the treasury to be its own market maker on its own decks, right? So this would be like if Olympus down Ethereum, all of those assets that they accrued, if they also had a DEX and they were liquidity providing their own assets on their own decks and earning trading fees from people using their own liquidity, right? Like th- these are these types of late game concepts that are going to, it's going to be really hard to pull it all together, but we have a lot of the tools, um, being put in place to pull it off okay cool i'm I'm actually down to chat about that a little bit if you'd like but um yeah i want to give Carilla a chance to jump in here first 
Hi guys, yep, yeah, I'm not really a savvy in crypto, just getting in, in, into the space. The last time I was in crypto was a long time ago. Bitcoin was around $2, and then I kind of looked at a couple of private networks like Zcash and Monero. Uh, and I was thinking, and, and they're uh, basically failed projects at the stage. I, like Monero just takes too long and uh, it's very heavy on uh, infrastructure and so on. So my first question is, how are you going to be different? Uh, and then the second question is, uh, since uh, FTX has fallen, uh, Actually, there's three, two, two, uh, two more questions. Uh, sorry. So the the first question is: uh, If SEC will require you, or SCFTC will require you to register because you're issuing your own tokens, uh, how will that happen? And uh, like, what the the, the the risk of regulations and uh, uh, like, are you guys thinking about it or not? And then the third is obviously. You're saying uh, that you can do the, the same thing as uh, advanced trading, which is selling your own tokens. Basically, you just said when you're pushing your uh, your assets uh, either for liquidity uh, or you know, like uh, you can sell your own assets that you just created. I'm not sure if I'm clear enough, but those are the kind of uh, three questions, kind of in one. Uh, uh, uh. Thank you. And as, I'm not a stack savvy, and obviously I, I might be comp uh, completely off, but uh, the, uh, these, uh, these are uh, my concerns, uh, getting into crypto again. Yep. No, Kirill, super, super good question. So I'll do my best to address them one at a time. So first off, we'll start with the, the tech stack and the scalability. You've kind of referenced that in your mind, Monero and Zcash, you know, they both have privacy but they both suffer from being maybe not as, as agile as needed slash difficulty with integrating back into to commerce, maybe in the way that a lot of people originally envisioned. So interestingly enough, Secret Network, the tech stack that we're on has six second block times. So in terms of speed of transactions, things are actually quite, quite quick on Secret Network. And on the performance front, this, this continues, continues to improve. Um, this is kind of based off of the fact that with, with Cosmos, the vision is not to have, you know, thousands of nodes. It, it's much more focused on kind of these smaller blockchains that are, that are still decentralized through proof of stake. But if you, if you have less nodes, you can kind of fine tune things more towards the performance side. And so Secret Network right now, I think is believed somewhere between 75 to 100 nodes. Um, so there's, that's like one of the trade-offs, right? It's like, Hey, it's less, less decentralized in terms of number of nodes, but then the advantage is that we have much more, we have a path to actual scalability on the, on the transaction front in terms of how privacy is achieved. It's, it's also important to note the differences between secret network and the Zcash and Monero's of the world. So, um, secret network uses hardware level encryption. So there's essentially every single node on the network. Um, has the same pieces of kind of hardware where none of the nodes are able to look inside of this uh, certain encryption environment. And that's where the decryptions happen. That's where the computations happen. And that's where the state ultimately gets updated. And so hardware level of, uh, hardware level encryption is kind of the, the best in class way to create a scalable privacy preserving network. The downside to this is that we, we inherit the trust assumptions of that hardware. 
um, which is one of the biggest criticisms of, criticisms of Seeger Network is like, hey, you're trusting hardware versus like a pure mathematical and, and cryptography solution. And so the, the shortstop to this is Secret 2.0, which was recently announced, um, is going to be focusing on fully homeomorphic encryption um, and other privacy solutions. And we want to try to make some, some form of a hybrid solution between hardware level encryption and some of the more mathematical focused privacy solutions like with, with Monero, Darrow, um, and the Zcaches of the world. So hopefully when that research is complete, which will probably take years, there'll be not only will we have the scalability that we started with in terms of speed and number of transactions, but we'll also have reduced some of the trust assumptions on the privacy side. So hopefully, hopefully that addresses um, question number one. Question number two was about the regulation side of things. I think it's uh, it's a very good question because there's there's really Shape Protocol has to kind of answer to two different components. The first piece is that there's a stable coin involved here, um, and the second piece has to do with the privacy. Both of them are very different types of regulatory concerns, and to my knowledge, we're the only one that's going to have to acknowledge both simultaneously. So. We do view that as a large risk. Um, I will say that we do have multiple teams of lawyers, and one of them is focused on the securities side of things and the classification. Um, what people don't know is that when it comes to stablecoin issuance, it's not the classification of the stablecoin itself that's most sensitive. It's actually the classification of the governance token behind the issuance of the stablecoin um, that's most vulnerable. So really, the onus is on us to prove that Shade is a very decentralized token and a decentralized ecosystem, because if we can prove that and we can prove that it's not a security, that means that Silk's classification as a truly decentralized stablecoin is kind of firmly fixed and firmly, firmly safe. And so the best I can say is that We've spent a lot of money and we're prepared to make that defense uh, if need be at some point in the future. Um, and I will say that I do think Shade Protocol's distribution in the grand scope of, of, of a lot of crypto projects was, was very conservative and focused on decentralization. So that kind of acknowledges maybe the security side of things. Um, the privacy side is really tough. What happened with Tornado Cash and kind of the prevailing winds is that privacy is privacy is bad, privacy is evil, um, and the people like and this is why the onus is really on these privacy projects and industry leaders like Coinbase to unite together and fight for the cause of privacy. Um, I firmly believe that we can't bridge crypto back to commerce if we don't have some form of granular privacy, and so Secret Network is a tech stack has the path to auditability. Every user has something called a viewing key that allows you to decrypt your transactions, decrypt your metadata. And so the idea would be is like, we could go to an auditor, hand them a viewing key and they can see all my transactions, but it doesn't mean my, my neighbor or my local banker or local grocer should be able to see my crypto balances or my crypto transactions. It should really only be my auditor. And like, I should have the sovereign choice to hand over that type of audit information. So I feel like Secret Network's in a great spot, spot to build a compliance framework on top of itself as a tech stack. And Shade Protocol actually has plans one day to build out once the key primitives are launched. I don't know if I should leak data, like stuff like this, but we want to build out a full-blown 
um, KYC AML framework such that institutions could leverage all of the privacy preserving products that Shea Protocol is building while having a path to compliance. Like if, if we really want to onboard institutions and the privacy preserving DeFi, there has to be a path to auditability and compliance. And we're going to be part of helping define that. Um, separate from Shea Protocol and Seeker Network, uh, I, I help spin up the Universal Privacy Alliance. It's called the UPA. Uh, it's a group that is uniting all the privacy projects in crypto right now. Um, we even had the likes of Edward Snowden be one of the speakers on the event hosted by UPA. So we're doing what we can to, you know, unite everyone in crypto with legislators and start to have those conversations. So that reference scalability, that reference the regulatory side of things. And for, forgive me, Kirill, what was the third question? Uh, so uh, the, the third question, uh, by the way, uh, congratulations on uh, your uh, really believing uh, in the project and uh, opening uh, uh, Snowden uh, uh, supports. Uh, it means something. He's the guy who, who, who really is thinking about privacy. Uh, that's uh, exactly it. Uh, that's, uh, that, that's what was uh, my question. Uh, in regards of the regulatory, you've answered it perfectly. Thank you so much. But the third one was uh, that you're uh, first of all, you, you, uh, so you're you're not you're, not, you're saying will uh, the obviously the committee will have the ability to sell assets into the market. Gotcha. So the uh, what happens is uh, we're gonna have another FTX who sold FTT, and then uh, somebody will put those FTTs on, on a balance sheet, another company, an intermediary, and all of a sudden you have 100 intermediaries that are getting these assets and we're in the same position where, where uh, maybe I'm wrong, but uh, that's what exactly, I, I, I'm just going by, I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen, but we have, to, uh, we have to look at what we have in front of us. And uh, that was the question like, uh, okay, well, they're in the FTT, FTX just did just that, sold the, yeah. uh, uh, and uh, who is going to be uh, the counterparty to ensure that risk? And then we're talking about derivatives, so, so that's another, uh, you know, eventually I, I think uh, you're planning to expand it to a very, very big project like uh, for, like you said, pension funds and institutional investors that uh, want privacy as well and, and so on. And uh, it's a very, it's a great idea. I, I mean, I applaud you for that. But those were, were my concerns. But thank you so much for addressing it. 100%. So first off, I would say props to you for being cognizant of any risks tied to people giving up custodianship to to like some counterparty, right? Like that's that's exactly what FTX has proven is we really can't trust, we really can't trust humans with a large amount of capital, if there isn't any form of checks and balances on them publicly uh, or in a programmatic fashion. So to, to reference to the concerns about the Shade DAO, I actually think this is a, this is a, I think this is a great point. Um, Shade Protocol essentially is gonna have these governance modules uh, that are called assemblies. And the way they work is that folks can essentially collectively vote in people to run different portions of the protocol. Uh, and any time those assemblies make a transaction, they'll be publicly visible. So this is back to like uh, secret network 
has the ab- ability to like provide transparency. And so for Shade Protocol for its treasury address, and this is coming in kind of Q, Q1-ish of 2023, all of the, the viewing keys that would be needed to view encrypted data will be publicly visible for everyone to use. So anyone at any time, and we'll have a dashboard for this, can fully audit all of the balances of the treasury, all the balances of the assembly, and all the asset movements of the assembly. So it's kind of interesting because we're build a private, building a privacy-preserving protocol, but we actually need to provide full transparency for the treasury as well as the management of the treasury. Or else, to your point, people could use, um, could use the privacy, they could funnel off assets, and you could have really, really bad things. Now, I do want to acknowledge you got to call a spade a spade, and you won't hear a lot of like, early builders acknowledge stuff like this. The, the, current, the current set of things is there's a, there's a core set of protocol contributors that are, are currently running a multi-sig, right? And so until governance is instantiated, that multi-sig represents a risk to decentralization and a risk to, to assets. Um, the good news is that the protocol doesn't hold on to a lot of wealth at this point. Most of the primitives haven't been launched, and we're going to be launching governance and these different components in, in Q1. So I do want to acknowledge when there's risks, want to acknowledge those risks are real in their current state, but the core contributors take this migration towards transparency and decentralization very seriously. So props to you and well done on being concerned about those things because they are, they are real risks. Great. Thank you so much. Really appreciate uh, your answers. Uh, I'll be following these projects very closely. Uh, just want, so in the end, what I'm thinking, like I can uh, set up a, a contract uh, to build a house in Panama uh, somewhere outside uh, where there is no banks. The guy has no banks. You have an app. I'll, I'll create a smart contract that can go through your chain. I can build a house, sell it. And we'll split the money. The guy gets uh, gets money, and just very simple. I mean, the guy gets his money, and I get my money through a, a very risk averse uh, uh, contract that is provided by decentralized exchange, and it's also not published on the public networks. Yeah. So these types of use cases are are possible with privacy preserving smart contracts. I don't think uh, those types of we're we're trying to build the rails and the infrastructure for privacy preserving DeFi. Those types of use cases, though, will be up to, up to other builders to build. But you are correct; like those types of use cases are are possible. Um, and please, please be advised with the legal risks tied to those types of use cases. I I, I understand. Yeah, for sure. I, I'll have to declare it. There the, the, there is not trying to. Uh... I, I understand completely. What you're saying is that it'll trickle down where a small uh, two, three people uh, can build on your network and you will provide uh, the resources at a much cheaper rate for me. For example, going to the bank, go, transferring, going into escrow and Panama banks. Uh, I've been there. Uh, I know it'll take a lot of time for you to set up a deal with uh, their banks because uh, it takes weeks uh, to set up an account. But uh, exactly this uh, can, uh, uh, by building uh, uh, a smart contract that you'll, uh, you'll have the tools to, uh, I can provide, uh, I can uh, open up, 
I can shorten the time uh, to the market. That's what I'm saying. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, English is not my first language. But thank you. Oh, so but much. you nailed it. You nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank no. you so much. You, you, you were very detailed. And uh, uh, even on the exchanges training, uh, I'll be looking for your uh, for secret and uh, for Cosmos. Uh, I, I really like what you guys are doing. And I thank you. You, especially when you said that you're thinking about KYC, which is uh, compliance and uh, everything else, and that you're already building it in right now, way before either it's going to go this way or, or, or another way, CFTC or CEC, uh, uh, Security Exchange Commission, uh, you've already thought about that. And props uh, to you guys. Uh, very well done job. Thank you. Yeah, Kirill, be sure to join the Shape Protocol Telegram and Discord. Would, would love to see you in there and join in on the discourse and, and bring your energy and ideas. Really appreciate the, the thoroughness of your questions and your um, ability to address risks that are very real. And I also don't want to make it sound like we have this all built. Like this is, this is a journey in motion. There's a very determined team behind this stuff. And I do look forward to see how far, how far we can get. Because if we can get the privacy preserving stable coin, the privacy preserving DEX lending. We already have staking derivatives and bonds. If we can get all that out by Q4, Q1, um, it's going to be a heck of an accomplishment. And I think the cosmos is going to see that uh, privacy preserving DeFi is, is the real deal. And, and so far, it seem, we seem to be the only place where it's possible because privacy preserving smart contracts are not an easy feat. Yeah. Awesome. Me, I want to appreciate uh, or thank you for hopping up here. Although I do think you spelled Joe wrong. I don't think M-E is how it's spelled, but that's okay. Um, real quick, though, before I pop over to you, Carter, I, I want to just quickly ask you about the, the KYC stuff. I guess I have kind of like two different questions that are sort of the same. Um, one would be, have you guys chatted at all with Checked, the Checked team? Um, I know they're doing privacy or KYC stuff in a matter that is as privacy respecting as possible. And one of the ways they're trying to do that is through, I guess, part of my second question, which is in your sort of exploration of KYC and stuff, have you explored like zero knowledge KYC? I don't know where we're at in that tech, but quick breakdown for people like what zero knowledge is and how it works is it's a tech that allows, um, computers or, or entities to confirm whether something is true or false without knowing like anything else about that thing. So for example, normally to prove I am a US citizen or uh, over 21 or whatever, I would put in some, you know, my driver's license, maybe I would show because that's my face, my, my name, some other info. Um, but let's say there was an exchange where the only uh, regulation was no U.S. customers. You could do a KYC where you can confirm whether or not they're a U.S. citizen without knowing their name, their address, their age, anything else about them. Just that. Um, that was sort of my dumb, dumb person overview of what zero knowledge is. But so, yeah, checked and zero knowledge in general. Like, what, what's your guys' plan for KYC? So. The fundamental problem that these KYC platforms are bumping into is that you can't have sensitive information on a blockchain, right? I, I can't store like 
my driver's license and my social security number on Ethereum, right? Like that's, it's literally like into perpetuity, immutably embedded into a blockchain database, like not a good idea. Um, but the problem is if, if you can't have your data on chain, then you lose a lot of the composability of like leveraging that data within a, like a smart contract um, world, right? So a lot of the zero knowledge uh, components, they might be solving for like, hey, I verify someone off chain and then the front end website allows them to interact with like a certain smart contract. But the world I'm envisioning is that the privacy preserving data actually lives on chain. And so that it's not just like a front end website gating you from certain interactions by leveraging zero knowledge proofs, but instead it's like you're moving around with your privacy preserving NFT with your you know KYC AML information. And so you can, from a command line, interact with a smart contract and the smart contract's like, hey, this person's whitelisted. Like I've, you know, we're, I'm able to decrypt in the safe environment and confirm this user is legit. They've been, um, you know how like there's internet certificates, like how the, how kind of how the internet works with certificate signers. Like you do something similar with like, um, you could have a massive centralized exchange being like, we're going to have a white, like um, they, we have our smart contract on chain and a user verifies KYC AML all privately, all encrypted, all programmatically. And like that smart contract, if you pass the check, then they essentially like add a check mark to your little, little NFT that says, hey, you know, Binance on chain allows this NFT uh, tied to this address to interact with these other whitelisted pools, right? And I'm just trying to give an example of, you need to have that on-chain composability and the best way to do that is to have the data live encrypted on chain, but no one's been able to pull that off safely and securely. And I think Seeker Network is, is the first blockchain to be positioned to have this composable compliance like objects that are able to literally dictate on-chain interactions. So it's, it's, this is some very late game stuff we're talking about here. And, I, and I'm, I haven't fully mapped out what it could look like. I, I just, I feel like I can peer over the edge and say, it's there, there's a path. There's a path to pull it off. Okay. Okay. Interesting. That might be like, honestly, that's a, that's a whole other conversation I'd love to get into sometime. Um, probably not for tonight though, but <laughs> exciting. Okay, cool. Me go ahead. So patient. I appreciate it. Thank you, bro. Um, obviously I was going to ask the question that I think you already asked, like what, where can uh, users expect privacy to be, uh, enabled on? But, you know, you got into all of that compositability and all that stuff. I don't know. But I do appreciate this conversation, though. Uh, I'd like to just, like, keep hearing more, to be honest. Yeah, so I I think if I heard you properly, you kind of want to know exactly where the privacy lives and what that looks like. Right, yeah, I jumped in late, and uh, from what I've heard so far, it seems as though uh, users are going to interact with a smart contract, and that's where privacy lives. Yep, exactly. So uh, on Seeger Network, um, if like whenever you make a transaction, you can essentially open up the JSON JSON file, and in the body of the message of the JSON file, that's where like the encryption the encryption lives. Like it's just gonna all of those data fields that would usually be publicly visible on something like Ethereum. Um, is private and encrypted with all these smart contract interactions. So there's still pieces of metadata that are publicly visible, like the block number and timestamps. But like when a user interacts with a smart contract, what the destination is, 
the, the balance of the user, what's being sent into where, like that part is kept, kept encrypted unless you're the specific user that initiated the transaction. So, um, and that uh, privacy, of course, comes from the, all the different, different nodes on, on the network. Word, heck yeah. Heck yeah, that's super awesome, bro. And the rest of my questions are just gonna be like technical, you know, like, you know, like could, could a user like use a smart contract in a way that, that doesn't benefit them? Like how someone could use Tor and like, you know, you just have certain practices that will enable, that, that give you better anonymity. You know, compared to like using Tor in a way that makes tracking you easier. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's it's really interesting you brought this up because there's definitely a subset of, I'll, I'll call them, how do I say this? Um, privacy hardened experts that understand the existing trade offs of the, the smart contracts we're launching. And they essentially want more privacy than the privacy that's being provided, which is, which is completely fair. Um, I do see a world where like, Shade Shade Protocol eventually launches like dark pools for DEXs where like literally like the liquidity pool balances are completely invisible. Maybe you incorporate some sort of ring ring signatures in a trading and you could have like complete black box trading, right? Like someone could go and make that level of privacy or someone could make a mixer on Seeker Network, which is the equivalent of like (laughs) building a privacy tool on top of a privacy chain. Um, We're not interested, at least initially with, with enhancing the 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 privacy that we're working with currently we, we feel quite comfortable with the level of privacy provided um but i do hope that as shape protocol grows and the open source community grows that people will build tooling on top of this kind of DeFi infrastructure that that we're building these baseline rails awesome oh, yeah, man. I appreciate it. that's awesome 100 be sure to join the community thanks for the question yeah, I was just going to say, definitely check out like Silk's page here on Twitter or sorry, Shade's page here on Twitter and use all the relevant links to hop in like Telegram, Discord, etc. If you want to learn more um, and, and the secret network ones in general, because most of the privacy lies on the network level, um, aside from some of the more intricate stuff like Carter was just touching on there. Um, OK, so this space has been going for a while. I, I, I do have one other tiny question, but I will. We can just keep like the answer super brief. I've just I gotta hop here. I gotta hop here for a Thanksgiving dinner in probably like five minutes too. So, okay, cool. Honestly, I think I think we're just good to wrap then. Um, it was it was sort of a a side thing about secret in general. So this yep. has been awesome. Um, don't want to hold you up anymore, especially this close to the holidays or day before holidays. Um, yeah. So thanks, uh, Kirill, for coming up. Me a second ago. Everyone for tuning in. Really excited about Shade and getting getting a taste of Silk. I think that would yeah. be pretty cool. And I, I appreciate you hosting. I know it's, you know, one thing I've talked to the team recently, and actually we, have, we, we do have one of the team members um, on, the, on the call here, at least their listener, is the, the vision is so absurd. Like, people don't launch seven apps while adding on privacy, while adding on multi-primitive interactions. Like, it's 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 almost it's becoming exponentially difficult to explain the vision because there's so much depth and nuance and that's something that's on me to do a better job of simplifying some of this high level stuff but i really appreciate appreciate the deep dive and and at the end of the day just in summary privacy is the key to unlocking the full value of a decentralized future that's what i fundamentally believe and if and if if transparency is a feature then so is privacy 
and I and I believe we will eventually look back, you know, 10 years from now and, and Seeger Network and Shade Protocol will be kind of the no-brainer. Kind of like Ethereum originally was a no-brainer, all these smart contracts, totally transparent. I think these privacy-preserving smart contracts are going to be a no-brainer in hindsight. And, and it's just a blessing to be building on the cutting edge. And at the end of the day, there's experiments, there's risks to all of this, but super excited with uh, what the future holds. And it's only possible with you, know, you the community members, uh, your, your energy, um, your passion for p- pushing the ethos forward, pushing this technology forward. Um, it's, it's all made possible by you. So thank you. That was beautiful. I, I definitely tend to agree. You know, Monero people won't let us forget it, but it is true. Like privacy was at least somewhere on Satoshi's radar as part of like the, the bigger vision. He has some posts about it. So I do think it is a fundamental part of sort of achieving what we want with Web3. Um, and especially the way Secret does it with optional privacy, where they like the entire network doesn't have to be private. Parts of some, some smart contracts don't. Um, so I'm bullish. I'm excited. Thank you so much for joining, though. Seriously, especially this close to the holidays. Um, I'll let you go. Please enjoy your dinner. Everyone else, if you have plans tonight with your family, enjoy. Uh, if not, there'll probably be some lovely Joe spaces going on tonight to keep you company. Thanks for checking out another episode of the Ether. That was a Joe's Monop boot camp hosted by Spark IBC with Shade Protocol discussing private DeFi and you. Recorded on Wednesday, November 23rd, 2022. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. And if you want to keep listening, head on over to TerraSpaces.org slash donate and show some support. Now, with Spark IBC enabled. When I'm ripping and rapping, I ain't picking the bastards who be tricking the masses into getting their asses kicked. Feels like I've been getting my masters. Fuck a pump and double like the income that's passive. Raise up the bar before I fly right past it. I'll be writing rhymes till they put me in a casket. Old man shit, put the lotion on its skin. Then put that shit back in the damn basket like Buffalo Bill, the way I'm ruffling feathers. Snuffing out debt, cut the heads off collectors. Keep a couple heads in a jar as keepsakes. And take the rest and turn them into free. Upgrade the feelings, supply the free base Looking all professional, tools in the briefcase Running on empty from gassing up my teammates First one down, let me know how that sleep tastes and impossible defending the plausible from end to demonstrable the mission isn't even worried about the clearance running interference till our enemies fear us we're only one disappearance away from a bad day everybody trying to save face on the last day feeling fancy about to pull out the mass eh? drop the eight ball in passing that's so passe i'm getting nasty you cannot put it past me a mix between blasphemy and tuck everlasting feeling like a masterpiece looking like a tragedy trying to get through another day full of savagery getting headstrong from working in the mess hall all hands on deck waiting for our next haul i need the rest got big plans to eject so feed the grass and keep off the kleenex i am interested in magic because i am fascinated with psychology i love to learn about how people make inferences about how they draw conclusions and 
find patterns and information. And in particular, I'm interested in all that can go wrong. Uh, how an individual can be led astray from certain cognitive vulnerabilities or exploited. Spaces.